Let's bow our heads. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, let's unpack this famous story a little bit further. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so begins a conversation about ultimate destiny and its cost. Like a good counselor or teacher, Jesus puts the question to the lawyer, asking a question in return. Well, Mr. Lawyer, sir, you know God's law. How do you read it? How would you answer your own question? The lawyer responds, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So, the Beatles were right. All you need is love. All you need is, that word pops up four, four times. Love God and love your neighbor. Pretty simple, huh? Well, I don't know. Your neighbor, your neighbor is pretty specific, sounds kind of real. Many of us would rather uh, that love and neighbor are abstractions, easier to love humankind than actual people, right? But since loving your neighbor seems to suggest that actual people should actually be loved, this lawyer needed to know the fine print. It says the lawyer wanted to justify himself. And when you're trying to justify yourself, you want to know how the point system works, the conditions and the terms. Let's have them. Naturally, the next question was this. Then who is my neighbor? You see, if you can limit the scope of this, it will be easier to accomplish. huh? This way of thinking leads to all sorts of questions as you negotiate how many people do I need to love? What kind of people do I love? Do I have to love Packer fans? What, what actually counts as an act of love? I need to know the minimum standards so that I don't do more than I need to do. You see, I need to remember always what my primary goal is to obtain eternal life, to justify myself before God. So let me ask you, does that mental process and preparation sound like love to you? It does sound like classes that we've all taken. Okay, I'm going to do, do the bare minimum to pass this class. That doesn't work so well, though, does it? If you're going to be a loving person? Does that cut it in a relationship, the bare minimum, or with a neighbor in need? Do I really have to do something here? Tell me, what motivates love? Is it finally self-interest or self-advancement? Is it fear of retribution or I've got to find relief from guilt, redeem myself somehow? 
Is it, is it a desire to be in control of someone else's life? Can love ever be love if the primary goal is some sort of calculus constructed for your own personal gain? Can love ever be love if it is not first and foremost initiated for the well-being of the one who is loved? Think of people in your life who have loved you, who you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, cared about your well-being and were not in it for themselves or their own advancement. Can you think of at least one person? Think of them now. Celebrate that person in here. It's doubtful the lawyer in this story can ever love. If love for him is done to accumulate merits for eternal life and to justify himself, unless, of course, you count love of self. Martin Luther was fond of pointing out the drawbacks to the system of good works and accumulation of merit in Roman Catholicism of 16th century Europe. Now, Contrary to what some believe, Roman Catholics did believe in the gift of grace. But when someone was given grace by God, they had to use that gift as a sort of power or fuel to ascend the ladder of righteousness. Why? To become acceptable one day to God, to ascend that ladder in life. You ascended the ladder by loving others and doing good things. Or if someone didn't do enough good things, they wouldn't get any more fuel, any more grace. They would fall out of favor with God and literally fall off the ladder or be pulled off by those creatures flying around. <laughs> and their chances at salvation then would diminish. So... Faithful Catholics were very motivated to give alms to the poor. That way they could accumulate merit to receive more grace and they would move up the ladder of righteousness. Do you see how that, how that works? Okay, let me ask you another question. For whose benefit would a good 16th century Catholic do good works and acts of charity with this system? <laughs> yeah for his or her own benefit. So, having a lot of homeless people around, as was the case in Rome, was a benefit because it gave Catholics, good Catholics, plenty of opportunities for points. Now, I hope you're finding this little historical stuff interesting. Um, it is to me. Now, there were people around at this time who actually did love those who were homeless. There always are. And some of those people actively worked for justice. They said, what if in the city of Rome we worked to eliminate hunger, making sure that everyone had enough to eat and a place to stay? Good question to ask, isn't it? Isn't that a good objective? It's very biblical. Well, what do you suppose was the response of the Pope and the cardinals to such a proposal? This is documented, by the way. What do you suppose their response was? Believe it or not, 
They were a bit torn on this one. But they were finally opposed to eliminating homelessness and hunger. Do you know why? Because if everyone had food and shelter, you would take away opportunities for charitable deeds and soul-making. We wouldn't want to do that. Catholic men and women needed the homeless so they could rack up points. So I ask you, is this about love? (laughs) It is not. It is about self-advancement, not the well-being of the homeless. A person in need, then, is just a means to an end, not someone to be loved. Sometimes, by the way, that person in need is living in your home or is at work. It's not always some God-forsaken person on the side of the, the road. The truth is, the people in Luther's world were not free. They were imprisoned. The homeless by their hunger and exposure, the Christians by their ladder climbing and fear of condemnation. And long before the folks of Luther's time, the lawyer who questioned Jesus, too, was using a calculator to figure out love. The priest and the Levite, in the story of the Good Samaritan, knew the commandments to love your neighbor as yourself, but they walked, they walked on by the man on the side of the road. But it doesn't say why. It doesn't say why. Why do you think they walked by? What do you think? Just call it out. We, we don't know. There probably could have been many reasons. They, they were afraid. Maybe afraid of what, do you think? Oh, yeah. What, what, what if they're still around? What if this is a trap? Yeah. Okay, what, what else? They're busy. And this is going to take, it's going to take time. I, I have a schedule today for crying out loud. Why else might they have yeah, you were listening to the children's sermon. They didn't, yeah, mess things up. Anything else? It could be any number of reasons, all having to do... Oh, Greta, do you have one? They didn't want to stop and do that work when they could be doing other things that were maybe a little bit more fun and rewarding. Yeah, and maybe they just weren't as maybe they just weren't as kind because something had happened to them in here. Something different than what was going on in here with the Samaritan. Okay. For whatever reason, the injured man on the side of the road did not fit into the priest or Levite's agenda for that day. They seem to be concerned not with the needs of that man, but other questions maybe like, will I then be late? Will I get blood on my tunic? Will I get my hands dirty? Is this my neighbor or maybe someone else's neighbor? (laughs) Uh, Someone else's neighbor, I think. Maybe they would have behaved differently if they knew people were watching and they had something to gain. Who then will be an advocate for the man whose life is hanging by a thread? It says that the Samaritan was moved with pity. He was traveling and he saw this man lying on the side of the road. Now, sometimes the word pity gets a bad rap, as in 
you know, don't have pity on me, or it's kind of a power play or something. But pity is a good word here, make no mistake about it. It means essentially compassion or love. The Samaritan was moved spontaneously by love and apparently had only one concern, the well-being of this man. And so we call him the good Samaritan. Martin Luther King, not to be confused with Martin Luther, which most people in American culture do confuse, Martin Luther King lived a little bit more recently, as you know. He once said this about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I quote, The first question which the priest and Levite asked was, If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? This is what love does. It is concerned for the well-being of the neighbor. So often our love is compromised by our own agendas. So what keeps us from loving our neighbors or our own family like the Good Samaritan did? We can be honest, there's all kinds of things that get in the way. Luther would say that we are not free. We are caught up in our own selves, like the priest and the Levite, the lawyer who questioned Jesus, or the Roman Catholics of Luther's time. And if we're not free, we cannot love. Instead, we can only try to justify ourselves in a world and a culture that shames us, or heal ourselves, or medicate ourselves, etc., etc., But that being the case, we cannot love in the way depicted by the Good Samaritan because our concern is with self, not neighbor. Others are then a means to an end. The Samaritan was moved by compassion and he acted. There was no calculation, only compassion followed by action. Almost as if his muse was a power beyond him that was tapped by the circumstances before him. What was tapped was, in fact, love, something transcendent. It was spontaneous. And Luther would say, that is the way we were made, to love with this transcendent power. I hear accounts about what happened on the ground Uh, in Las Vegas with the recent shooting. I don't know if if you're like me, but I hear about certain individuals who stayed, who chose to remain in the line of fire to help out those who were injured rather than run for cover, leaving themselves wide open as targets. So you have individuals not caught up in concern for themselves, but willing literally to lay their lives for a brother or sister who they probably don't know. Greater love has no man or woman. I don't know if I'd be up to it in that situation. I'm in awe of, of such a love described there. Did you, anybody have that same reaction when you hear about that? Oh my goodness. Luther would say such selfless acts come only from above. They are transcendent and they flow through us 
when we are free. When we are free. That's the best place to be for a human being. Free from what, you say? Free from all our attempts to justify ourselves, to make ourselves whole, to get rid of the burdens we carry, and yet everyone's quest to be justified in this world, in this life, before God, is, of course, necessary and valid. Everyone's quest is to be whole. Yes, and it is Luther's passionate rebuttal to all that went before him that only God can make us whole. Only God can justify us. And it is God's promise that we are justified. It is God's promise to make us whole. These are gifts that free us from ourselves and our burdens, however it is that we experience them. We don't have to create meaning for ourselves, make a name for ourselves, establish our worthiness, because those things are given, they are promised. So we don't have to treat people as pawns in our self-realization project. We are free set free to love our neighbor. And that is exactly the way God made us. To love our neighbor because our neighbor is in need, not because we need points. We are free when we trust that God gives us all we need to live and be whole. When we trust that God gives us our worth and we don't have to create it. We don't have to worry about falling off that dumb ladder. You don't have to climb that ladder. That's what faith is, trusting in the promises of God.